Welcome to Screen Therapy. I'm your host, Jason Schurz. In October of 2018, I found myself in the hospital, sitting across from a psychiatrist who was telling me I had bipolar. I was sent home with a bunch of medication and laid on the couch for a week. I had my iTunes library on shuffle, trying to shake the hornet's nest from my head. Ever since I was a kid, I've been using loud music as a form of therapy. Punk rock and mental health have always been connected. This podcast looks at that connection through the lens of different guests. This is Screen Therapy. Parenting children with mental health conditions and developmental disabilities is incredibly hard work, as if parenting wasn't hard enough as it is. Dave Carlo is the leader and guitarist for legendary Canadian thrash metal band Razor. He's the father of a son and a daughter, both dealing with their own challenges. Over the years, Dave has learned a lot about how his parenting approach affects his kids' mental health. I'm also a parent of children who live with mental health conditions. I know now that my instinct to fix their problems is counterproductive to what they need to thrive. Acknowledgement, respect, autonomy, and mutual support and understanding. That means being there for my kids, but not trying to take over. It's a work in progress. Dave and his family have been in crisis mode for the past two years. His wife has stage 4 cancer, and they're struggling to get her the help she needs. Through all of this, Dave has Razor, where his signature blazing guitar riffs are a much-needed outlet. Perseverance, shooting from his fingertips. I'm Dave Carlo. I'm the guitar player from the band Razor. Razor has been around since the early 80s. We formed in 1983. We are a thrash metal band. We are Canadian. We formed in a city called Guelph, Ontario, which is about 40 minutes west of Toronto. We put out a number of albums in the 80s. We put out some albums in the early 90s. Then we retired for a bit. The internet brought us back because we had a lot of fan interest. And so we have just recently released our latest album, Cycle of Contempt. Mental health-wise, I have two children who have special needs. They are now young adults. I have a 23-year-old son who is autistic. I have a 21-year-old daughter who has several issues. One is OCD, which I also have. She has ADHD, and she has something called borderline personality disorder, which is a very difficult condition. She's tried to commit suicide three times in the last seven years. Luckily for us, not successfully. The third time was very dramatic. She jumped off a bridge and she broke her back. And she was uh, hospitalized for quite some time and she was in a wheelchair for quite some time. Since then, she has improved quite a bit. Like she doesn't feel suicidal anymore. Um, that was a very close call for her. The first two times she tried suicide, it was pills. She didn't have success there, but the bridge was 
bringing it up a notch. And it was very traumatic for everybody, as you can imagine. My kids are fine with me talking about all of this stuff. They're totally fine. They like their stories to be told because they think it's good for people to hear them. It sounds like we've got a lot in common. I have four kids and my oldest is 23 and he also is on the autism spectrum and deals with a lot of other challenges. I sometimes worry that maybe the genetic aspect, I live with bipolar and ADHD, but also I feel like my approach to parenting has really changed. What about for you? Well, I certainly learned a lot through the disorders that my kids have had to deal with. We didn't know my son was autistic till he was eight, that when he was diagnosed, but we knew something wasn't right. And we knew that from the very beginning. Same thing with my daughter. So we had to adapt our parenting styles to deal with what we were confronted with, which we didn't know what it was. But there were a lot of sensory issues in my son's case, a lot of things triggering him that we didn't understand why. And, you know, the first instinct as a parent is to think, well, well, he's just being difficult or he's just giving us an attitude or you don't realize what it is. And then you use the traditional parenting methods where you start punishing your kids because they're uh, reacting to certain things a certain way. But then after a while, you start to come to realize that they can't help this. They're not doing this to be difficult. They don't have the ability to function as a what we call a normal human being in these circumstances. And then things change. Unless you're an asshole, you become more compassionate and you start to realize that the right approach is not heavy handed. The right approach is to understand and to accommodate and to find out how you can make it so that they can function and they can do their best and feel their best because that's the best thing you can do as a parent. Everybody's happy when there isn't anybody in the family that's sick or ill or having difficulties. When everybody's in a state of some kind of harmony, then everybody can be happy. So it's good for everybody to take that approach. So yes, my parenting style and my wife's parenting style definitely evolved as we became aware of uh, what was going on. Then later, when my son was diagnosed as autistic and I went back, I have to be honest, I felt an enormous amount of guilt at first because I thought back over the seven or eight years and some of the things I had said and things I had done to punish him, like take things away from him. And I just felt awful. I felt like, oh my God, that was just so wrong. But I didn't know any better at the time. I would think of myself as very sensitive to their issues. I have my own mental health issues. As I said, I'm OCD. I've got other issues too. I'm sure that I've been diagnosed over the years. I, I don't always handle stress as well as I'd like to. What I learned about parenting as went along is that it's important to accommodate my kids. And then I, of course, had to become very good at doing it through the school system because the school systems are not made for kids who have these issues. They expect kids to go in there and be able to suck it up a lot of the time. It just wasn't possible for my kids. Early on, they were getting in trouble at school because they had not been diagnosed yet. They had no help from the school system. That all came later because once I found out my son had a, a clinical diagnosis and my daughter, for that matter, I started becoming a real aggressive advocate to make it clear. And there were many boardrooms full of teachers I talked to where I could tell that some of these teachers just didn't give a crap. They needed to be uh, brought up to speed on what was going on. One of the things that I find with my parenting and how it has changed over the years is parents feel this need, I know that I do, and I know a lot of parents do, to fix, to always fix. For me, it was the shift towards listening and supporting and also learning those skills because my own diagnosis brought me to things like support groups and other things that really helped me. Listening and supporting is just so much more valuable than that fix it. 
we've had that problem too. We're that tendency to always want to fix, 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 fix. The problem is if you just keep fix, fix, fixing, they are never able to do anything for themselves or handle anything on their own. You're not setting them up to be able to live as adults if all you do is fix everything. You have to know when it's important to be involved and to help and when it's important to let them discover how to find their way through a situation on their own. And there's that whole idea of counselor versus parent. Yes, you listen and you go for walks and you support, but not there to be their counselor either. Right. I have a relationship with my kids where they can come to me at any time and talk to me about anything. And that's served me really well. I have complete trust in my kids. They don't have to sneak around on me. They don't have to do something behind my back because we could talk about it. I can give them the benefit of what my experience has been and whatever the situation is. I don't tell them what to do. I don't give them orders on what to do, but I tell them how things worked out for me when I encountered the same situation or a similar situation. And then I give them enough examples so they can do the thinking on their own and figure out what the best choice are. My kids are uh, so concerned about our opinion of what they're doing and how they're doing when and I say this in a good way. I know a lot of people who have kids who just flip off their parents and don't, don't listen to what they say and just rebel against it. And my kids are the opposite of that. My kids are so concerned about how we feel about things. We've shown them that growing up. We've given them the respect, which is a real important thing. Respect is so important. And some people think because you're the adult and they're the kid that the respect should be automatic. I've never believed that. I believe respect is something you earn. One human being to another. And I don't care about the age difference. For example, I'm 58. There are some 80-year-olds I don't have any respect for. I don't care uh, that they're older than me. When I was a kid, I didn't respect a lot of adults because I didn't think they reciprocated. How I told my kids to approach life and situations is you give people respect immediately. You always start by giving respect. And you always give respect until somebody proves to you that they don't deserve it. I don't advocate for my kids to be pushed around or to be taken any crap. Kids with special needs can sometimes get bullied. I encourage my kids to be very open with me about stuff like that. And if anything like that was happening, it got handled. You've been playing metal and listening to metal since they were born. What do they think of it? My kids are awesome. They're, they're fans, but they're not necessarily first and foremost my style of music, but a healthy appreciation for my style of music and a healthy appreciation for metal all around both of my kids, because when they were little, they would hear some, right? Like I was playing Motorhead for my daughter when she was five, just teaching them a little bit about what I did. My 15-year-old son recently got into thrash metal, and it was completely unbeknownst to me. One day I asked him what kind of music he listened to, and he was quite shy. And then I talked about the bands that I listened to when I was 15, listed off the bands like Razor, Sacrifice. And all of a sudden he said to me, oh, that's the same stuff I listen to. And I was completely blown away. Turns out he knew Sacrifice, he knew Creator, he knew Testament and Death Angel and Exodus and all the classic albums, not just the new stuff. In fact, he preferred the classic albums. He talks a lot about identity in underground music and how he feels like he has a place now, whereas before he didn't feel like he belonged anywhere. That's cool. Yeah. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's fantastic. I mean, one of the things that always has been really gratifying to me is when people come to me and tell me that the music has made a big difference in their lives. And I've gotten those stories over the years. And I've had people tell me that the music saved their lives because they were going through a, either a suicidal period or a, a despair of some kind. And just the outlet of the music and reading the lyrics and relating to some of the sentiments there gave them the strength to get through a tough time. I'm really flattered by that kind of thing. And it's really rewarding for me to hear those kind of stories. 
there's lots of positive effects of music like that. The emotional release, the physical release. A lot of folks use thrash metal for the gym, exercising. Yeah. So from your experience and talking to the people over the years who listened to Razor, what kind of things did they tell you about the positive effects of the music? People have said that to me many times, that they like to work out to Razor, because that music gives you an adrenaline boost. They uh, hit the exercise bike or uh, uh, lift weights or, or whatever you do. And I do that too when I exercise. I listen to pretty aggressive metal when I'm exercising. It helps you understand that the genre of metal is a very important uh, form of music for, to a lot of people, and it helps a lot of people. Razor's always had a lot of violent imagery in their lyrics and songs. And I've done a bit of research around this for the Scream Therapy book, the idea that angry music begets angry people, and that's actually been debunked. Uh, in fact, studies say that angry music makes less angry people and, and helps to calm them, and releases their pent-up emotions, and also sad music doesn't necessarily make people sad. In fact, it helps to release those sad emotions. So when you see people in the front row and they're just banging and they want to smash into each other and kill, you know, metaphorically, yeah, um, yeah. what do you think when you see that? You know, is it clear to you? Yes, it is. Now, of course, this is one of the big disappointments of my life with losing my eyesight, my central vision, is that I don't see the faces anymore in the audience, which sucks because I used to love to look and see people having a good time. It made me feel so good to see people enjoying themselves. Now I can still pick up the movement, though. So, you know, thank God there's a there's the mosh pits and the... I'm not advocating anybody being hurt, but I advocate people having a great time and, and going nuts. And uh, I don't mind people getting up on stage with us. We welcome people up there, too. Not every show we're allowed to have that. The security and the promoters have their venue rules that have to be observed or whatever. But where we can do it, we bring people on stage with us. And uh, that's part of the gig. As far as violent music and whether people become violent, listen to violent music, I would just say this. I consider myself to be a very caring, empathetic person. I think I've been like that my whole life, even before I had a family and kids. And I get moved by people's difficulties. I care about the well-being of people. And I've written some of the most revenge-driven and violent songs that you'll ever hear. But if you look at me and you know who I am as a person, I'm not out there perpetrating violence on people. I write those songs for two reasons, for entertainment value, because I like it hard and heavy and aggressive. That's my favorite style of music. And because I've always enjoyed those kind of uh, movies like that, those kind of Charles Bronson, kind of Clint Eastwood, stuff like that. It's just kind of a, a niche that I find interesting. So I blended those together and it's fun. It's fun. It's not always easy to perform thrash metal. I mean, it's a lot easier to play mainstream rock music on stage because I was in cover bands when I was younger before Razor. And, you know, we played uh, much more regular paced music, much easier to be on stage and fist in the air. Let's go, everybody. But when you're doing thrash, it's basically head down. You've got to keep focus. Uh, everything's so fast and going all the time that if you're not in the game the whole time, your head's not in the game the whole time. You lose your concentration for a split second, you'll be out of the song. It's an endurance test, and it's also a mental test of focus. And there's humor in the music as well, in the songs. Like, the new album has a song called Off My Meds. It's like, off my meds, you know? <laughs> 
that's a thing. You go off your meds and it can be trouble, but uh, this is bringing some humor in. Yes, it's a threat, right? If you keep pushing your luck with me, I'm going to go off my meds, brother, and it's going to get ugly. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a little bit of tongue-in-cheek with Razor, and that's the way we are. We're Canadian, and that's kind of the Canadian way, guys. We don't take ourselves too seriously. That's just kind of how we roll. So some people get like so hardcore. So that's cool too. Nothing wrong with it. But it's okay to laugh about something too. I go over the top of my lyrics and I do it on purpose because I think it's funny. There's a line in there about punting somebody with cleats. I forget what the word I was rhyming it with, but cleats was the word. I just thought it was a good, <laughs> like the song Violent Restitution when I talk about hitting somebody with my spade. It's looking for a unique ways to express myself. I love doing that. Your family, you've been through a heck of a lot over the last few years. How have you dealt with the tragedy you've had in your family? How have you come together in that way? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough, man, because, you know, my wife has cancer. She was diagnosed with cancer right at the beginning of the pandemic, just two months into it. And between her and I, because our kids were special needs, we always had it that, you know, neither one of us were working full time. I was earning what I could. And she was earning what she could. She was an accountant by trade, but she didn't work full-time hours. She only worked about 25 hours a week because we wanted extra time to be around our kids. And we were lucky enough to have the ability to do that. We could have been working full-time and making more money, but we made a decision as a family that we would rather forego the extra income and just have the extra time for our kids to help. them. So when my wife got sick, first thing that happened was we lost her income. And of course, pandemic, I couldn't perform or do anything. So there was no razor. There was no uh, accounting income. We had nothing. So we've been living on nothing for the last three years. And it's a good thing I had some savings or I've been in terrible trouble. Even this year, I had to cancel because we were supposed to perform a lot this year. I had a lot of shows lined up in Europe. But because of Rose's illness and getting worse and needing me here, uh, I had to pull out of all those shows. So that besides the disappointment that it causes the people that want to see us, it's a financial hit for us. It hurts. It hurts to have to cancel them. But I can't abandon my wife when she's fighting for her life and things are not going the right way. So we had a fundraiser that we did that is still ongoing. My wife is not dead yet and we're not giving up. And we're still trying to find some kind of treatment that help her. And we still have some time to do that. So we're working on it. There's a GoFundMe page for my wife, Rose Carlo. If anybody is interested in donating to it, I find it embarrassing to ask people for stuff like this. So I don't always promote it very well, but there's a GoFundMe page, Rose Carlo Cancer Fund. If anybody Googles it, they'll find it. And if they want to support it, I'm very grateful because it's been very tough. And the reason I'm worried about the cost and everything that besides the three years of no income, we've incurred some bills to pay for some American treatment for Rose uh, as well, because we needed that extra help um, directing her treatment because she had a very rare kind of cancer. It was gallbladder cancer, which is not very... Well, in fact, the guy who did the surgery found it said he had never in 30 years seen it. So very rare cancer. So we had to get some extra expense incurred to get some help from the States, from the Mayo Clinic specifically, plus the toll it took on the family. Plus, I'm trying to provide for special needs kids. My goal has always been to try and leave something there for them. And the pandemic and my wife getting sick has eliminated that possibility right now. So I really feel like I got to work my ass off to try and put back what was lost. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And that's probably part of my motivation with the Razor and making sure that I make a great album and do a full promotional effort and work my ass off to try and get people to take notice of it because I really need to try and get out there and make up what we weren't able to do because of the pandemic. So how did it help us as a family was your original question. 
it's very hard. My daughter is really struggling. Her last suicide attempt was just shortly after my wife was diagnosed with cancer. It was a motivator in what she did and why she did. So it took a lot to get her into a better place over the last two years. She had something called DBT. Uh, It's a form of therapy. Dialectical behavioral therapy. Right. And she had it helped her a ton. She did it for a year and it really made a difference to her. So if you're ever offered that or somebody's ever offered that, all I can say is from my experiences with my daughter, who is really in a bad place, it really saved her, I think. It really put her in a much better footing and a much better way of looking at things. Now, when she talks to me about how she sees situations, she's got a lot more depth, a lot more to draw from because of that DBT. Great tool to help her. And I hope that you're finding some time to carve out for yourself as well to take care of your own mental health. It's been tough. It's been really tough. I've got a couple of really good friends who try to help me. I had one friend, uh, and I also feel hard to leave Rose. I feel tough to leave her. Any given day, I have a real tough time leaving but I, I won't leave unless I've got somebody else to cover. But I've had a couple of friends step up and say, hey, Dave, you know, like, let's do this for a few hours. Somebody will come in and keep an eye on things. And when I have had that, I've been able to do it and get a break. I wish it would happen a little more often, but I'm grateful any chance I get to do that. My kids aren't able to help much, but they will see something like, okay, dad, you know, if you want to go down and work on some music, or you need to work on something, we'll keep an eye on, on what's going on with mom and let her let you know. Like if there's a problem, I'd still have to intervene, but Something else I'm trying to do is get some outside services to help us. That's been tough. It's been tough to get the help that I need. But there is some available, and I'm working on it. Trying to get a nurse to come in uh, once a day to keep an eye on Rose and just check the medication, check their vitals and all that kind of stuff. And trying to get some help with some meal services, like Meals on Wheels and stuff. Just trying to get some help I can, anything that takes some pressure off me and allows me to feel comfortable. We're supposed to be performing starting in November, and I'm booked, and I'm going to be there. So I've got to have a structure in place that will allow me to do that. And I've got some friends and family who are telling me they're going to make sure that, that I'm able to do that. That was my conversation with Dave Carlo from Razor, razorband.com. I now have a Tee Public store where you can buy Scream Therapy merch. So head over to ScreamTherapyHQ.com, support the podcast, and get some fancy new duds. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Scream Therapy. I'm coming to you from Powell River, a small coastal town in British Columbia, Canada, on the traditional territory of the Klohomin Nation. Doing this podcast and talking to other folks living with mental health challenges has been a huge part of my journey. It means the world to me that you're out there listening. You can sign up for my newsletter and find more episodes at ScreamTherapyHQ.com. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Let's talk punk and mental health. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, take care and be well. Be well.